Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, the AU happy the continent is making progress when it comes to organizing and participating in elections. And the UN says women with disabilities face specific challenges which are not common to men with disabilities. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The bodies of 34 refugees, including women and children, have been found in Najir Sahara Desert, where they were apparently abandoned by smugglers en route to neighboring Algeria and eventually Europe. The International Organization for Migration has estimated that 120,000 people crossed the Najir Desert last year and 60,000 between February and April this year. The IOM also recorded 37 refugee deaths in the desert last year. Meanwhile, Europe has recently curbed the number of illegal arrivals from Africa after a deal with Ankara in March reduced the number of people trying to cross from Turkey. Police and a witness say several Somali nationals have died from suffocation in a container truck in Zambia. Copper Belt Police Commissioner Charity Katanga says officials stopped the truck after banging sounds were heard. A witness told the Zambia National Broadcasting Corporation that bodies were strewn on the ground and that more than 30 frail-looking survivors said the truck had no ventilation. The Somalis had been loaded into the truck with bags of beans and ground nuts. The UN says Sudan is hosting the largest number of South Sudanese refugees, with 232,000 having entered since the civil war erupted in neighboring country at the end of 2013. South Sudan won independence from Sudan in 2011, but two years later it fell into a brutal civil war that has killed tens of thousands of civilians. Highlighting the latest humanitarian crisis, Ocha warned that the overall donor response has been low so far. Interviews with victims of alleged sexual exploitation and abuse at the hands of foreign troops in Kimo Prefecture, Central African Republic, should be finalized in the coming weeks, the United Nations have announced. The investigations are being conducted by the UN's Office of Internal Oversight Services in conjunction with Burundi and Gabon. Joint teams have so far spoken to 90 out of 106 complainants. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric says witnesses are also being interviewed to try and corroborate the testimonies. IOS will need time to then review their findings and identify any additional resources that may be necessary to completing the investigations. As you know, these allegations date back to 2014 and 2015, and there is clearly in the area a lack of medical, judicial, and other physical evidence, which means that the work of the investigators relies primarily on the testimonies of victims and witnesses. And finally, South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has urged the youth to see June 16, 1976 as an inspiration for them to make education their priority. He was speaking during Youth Day commemorations at Holanda Stadium in Soweto. President Zuma has condemned violent protests that have led to the destruction of property. He's made an impassioned appeal to South Africa's youth to refrain from destroying infrastructure such as schools. We should remember that not... A single school was burned during the June 16, 1976, the student uprising. If we destroy schools, where our kids are going to go in and receive education tomorrow? That's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African time.
Africa, rise and shine. Thank you, and it's 8.05 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has made an impassioned plea for an end to violent protest and sexual abuse of young people. The President was addressing the Youth Day event in the country's biggest township, Soweto, marking the 40th anniversary of the June 1976 student uprisings yesterday. Tsepoe Ganeng reports. It's estimated that no less than 600 learners and young people were brutally killed by the apartheid security forces on that fateful day. The uprisings left many more injured, jailed and others tortured. The event marked a turning point in the history of the anti-apartheid struggle as scores of young people were forced to flee the country and join exiled liberation movements. It was a rapturous welcome for President Jacob Zuma and his deputy Sarah Ramaphosa as they did a walkabout around the Orlando Stadium to greet hundreds of mostly young people attending the event. President Zuma used his speech to highlight government successes in the advancement of youth development through various education and empowerment initiatives. He, however, strongly condemned the banning of more than 20 schools in Vuwani when residents protested against being moved to a new municipality. He has also called upset communities that burned down public infrastructure to show their anger. He made an example of a community that burned down a clinic that serviced them because it had electricity whilst the rest of the township is in the dark. The president has stressed that there is no justification for the violence. We should remember that not a single school was burned during the June 16, 1976, the student uprising. Sadly, we have seen horrible incidents in recent times. Students have done the unthinkable and burned university buildings on some campuses just to communicate that they cannot afford the fees. That conduct is unforgivable and totally unacceptable. President Zuma also spoke out against the high rate of sexual exploitation of young women. He expressed shock and disgust at the new trend of bidding and setting the price for sex for the night at social gatherings. We also need to protect our youth, especially young women and girls, from abuse and exploitation through new shocking tendencies in our country, such as the so-called sex parties known as Mavuso. Patrons at taverns reportedly take young women home overnight at a price announced at the tavern by the host. We should not subject our young women to this abuse and danger. The president went on to appeal to parents to partner with government to curb incidents of violence and bullying at schools. Learners have been attacked and killed in some schools. There have also been cases of teachers being attacked by learners or teachers attacking learners. There is also the prevalent problem of bullying in some schools, which can have a very detrimental effect on learners who are victims and others who witness the abuse of others. Meanwhile, the chairperson of the June 16 Foundation, Popo Maja, has expressed concern over the recent violent clashes in Parliament. That the chaos that we see in the Houses of Parliament should not be allowed. These chaos have 
the replication of unlawfulness elsewhere in our country. To the youth of our country, we say to you, do not listen to them who, under the cover of darkness, agitate you to ban schools. Do not ban anything. The banning was done for you. The dying was done for you. We are asking you to go to school, educate yourself, and make this country the country that we all yearn for. The niece of the late fiery student leader, C.H.C. Mashinini Lissedi, made an impassioned plea to young people to shun drug and alcohol abuse and embrace education as an instrument for self-empowerment. No amount of drugs, chasing material possessions, or outward wealth can change your situation. Hashtag education, education and more education will liberate you. Enjoy your youth day and the rest of the youth month and use every minute of your life to make your life better. Hashtag no to drugs, no to the abuse of women and children. Hashtag no to the burning of schools. President Zuma also honored young achievers from across the country. I'm Tsepo Ikaning in Soweto. Meanwhile, three days after the Soweto uprising in 1976, the Security Council expressed its deep shock over the large-scale killings and wounding of Africans in the country following what it termed the callous shooting of African people, including schoolchildren and students, demonstrating against racial discrimination. The United Nations has today paid well, yesterday, paid tribute to the memory of those who fell during the uprising and the progress made by South Africa since its first democratic elections in 1994. Show and Bryce reports. It was called Resolution 392 of 1976, passed in record time just three days after the massacre and after letters of complaint were brought by three African countries, Benin, Libya and Tanzania, that expressed concern over the repressive measures and wanton killings perpetrated by the apartheid regime. I was only a member of the Secretariat. Inuga Reddy, in conversation with the SABC two years ago, was the principal secretary of the UN's Committee Against Apartheid from 1962 to 1984. In terms of preparing the strategy and... Uh, trying to prepare the documents, resolutions, uh, that type of thing, and the procedures and so on. Well, I think I was crucial. But I could do nothing because I was only a member of the Secretariat. Without the special committee on apartheid taking over, I would make suggestions to them. They take over. They go to the General Assembly and get action. They go to the Security Council and get action or go to the public and get action. The resolution strongly condemned the South African government. It expressed profound sympathy to the victims of the violence. It reaffirmed that the policy of apartheid was a crime against the conscience and dignity of mankind. It recognized the legitimacy of the struggle to eliminate racial discrimination and called on the South African government to urgently eliminate apartheid. Their sacrifice paved the way for an end to the despicable regime and the progress made by South Africa. Stefan Dujeric is the Secretary General spokesperson. We all join uh, the people of South Africa in commemorating uh, the anniversary of the Soweto up- uprising. Those days of June of 1976, uh, it once demonstrated the perversity uh, of the apartheid system as well as the unstoppable march of the people of South Africa uh, towards uh, towards freedom. Uh, I think, you know, all of us who look back at those, look at those images uh, from 1976 cannot still help be moved, um, as we saw uh, those who were cut down by the forces of the apartheid regime and whose only crime was to demand um, the dignity and the respect that was their birthright. South Africa would feature in at least four resolutions of the Security Council in 1976, first condemning the country's aggression against Angola, then its condemnation of the June 16th slaughter in Soweto. In a separate resolution that year, it also condemned numerous hostile and unprovoked acts by South Africa, violating the sovereignty of Zambia. And then finally in 1976, it condemned actions by the then regime for closing certain border posts with Lesotho, intended to coerce the Basutu kingdom 
into recognizing the Bantu stun of Transkei, quite the walk down memory lane, and that was just 1976. I'm Sherwin Bricebees in New York. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, the African Union says the continent is making progress when it comes to organizing and participating in elections at a national and local level. The body says Africa now has more democratic processes than ever before as more and more countries adopt the rule-by-the-ballot trend. Kaleta Wanjohi was speaking to the director of political affairs at the African Union, who says while progress has been made, there is more work ahead. Reports from the African Union show that since the 1980s and 1990s, many African countries have been conducting elections on a regular basis. The continent has widely moved away from military rule, one-party rule and the one-president-for-life syndrome. The African Union Commission for Political Affairs, which monitors all elections, says despite this progress, all member countries can do more to improve the democratic process. Habele Matlosa is the director of AU Department of Political Affairs. So I said the first challenge is that of uh, entrenching uh, you know, uh, 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 the regularity of local government elections. Second is to ensure that uh, to, to, to enhance the democratic quality of our elections. The third is addressing voter apathy, in particular amongst the youth. The African Union says that one area of concern as the continent develops democratic processes is their financing. Matlosa says African Union is urging member states not to turn to external sources to meet these costs. It is important that uh, when we conduct our elections, we earmark adequate resources to, 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 to ensure that the, the electoral processes happen, funded by African countries themselves, not our partners. Even if our partners fund, anyway, it shouldn't really be the largest proportion. It should be supplementary. The African Union highlights that many Africans are yet to fully recognize the importance of local elections when it comes to overall governance. Director Matlosa says South Africa is setting a good example on how local government elections should be conducted. When you look at the TV and you look at how parties are, 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 are mobilizing vote votes, campaigning, launching the manifestos. You would, you, would, you, would mistake it for, you would mistake it for a national election. That's the, way, that's the way we want to go. We want to elevate the local government election to that level of uh, political awareness right, of our populations, political parties, and all candidates that contest elections. Elections in Africa are now guided by the African Charter on Democracy, Governance, and Elections. The African Union wants its member countries to realize the importance of local elections in enabling local communities to exercise their democratic rights and ensure good governance and accountability on a local level. Koleton Joy, in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
It's 8.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. Now the month of June, also known as Youth Month, has sparked much conversation and reflection on the valiant efforts of the student movement in 1976 to bring change linking these historic events to contemporary youth challenges and accomplishments in South Africa. Anti-corruption, non-governmental organization Corruption Watch is hosting an event in Johannesburg tomorrow to provide a platform for young people to talk about the issues that affect them. The debate under the theme An Incorruptible Youth will address issues of corruption, participation and policy positions as played out in youth structures. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Zola Valashia, Youth Forum Coordinator at Corruption Watch. Good morning, Zola, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Hi, good morning, and thank you for having me. Now, Zola, how do the youth of today see the future of this country and their involvement in it? Do they see themselves as active citizens? And if so, how do they enact that? Well, there's definitely a lot of mixed emotions from the youth and I don't claim to speak for the youth or on behalf of the youth but uh, there's definitely different perspectives that need to be aired out whether it's from a political perspective from a gender perspective or even a class perspective so it's not as easy or as clean to be able to identify here's what the youth are feeling and therefore um, here's how we should act and I think it's quite important that we determine our citizenship on our ability to be able to deliberate and debate against each other as well around issues that impact the youth. Now, speaking of contentious issues that, uh, well, sort of bother young people or when it comes to young people, these are the things that um, are in the forefront of what they'd most likely like to change. Issues of unemployment, corruption, educational transformation and inequalities. What solutions are there and how is this dialogue addressing these issues? Well, There is a lot of frustration um, with the youth right now, especially how the policies around those things that you've mentioned, especially around education. Most importantly, as we've just recently reflected, June 16th was exactly about that. And in 1976, the protesting was about that. And in 2016, we still having protests around higher education, its access, etc. So the policies that are being enacted that directly affect the youth and the future of the youth are the things that we have to be talking about and debating. And that needs a lot more attention, not only from the youth side, but also from the public side and also at a government level as well. Now, just mentioning the youth of 76, their movement was about change and better quality education. Mm. The current movement today, the fees must fall, hashtag fees must fall, um, Mm. is more more about higher education and free education for all. Now, is this feasible in a country like South Africa? It's only been, what, 20, 22 years of democracy, and uh, there's still a lot that needs to be done, apart from education, also considering that the poverty alleviation that needs to be done. How do we work around this? And is it really a viable solution for our country at this point in time? Yeah, so the two golden threads that match between 1976 and um, contemporary student protests is one thing. It's protesting against a system that says we don't want to speak a language that is not part of our identity, that is not part of our culture, etc. And that's what happened then, and that's what's happening now. The form may change, but the essence is still the same. So what the problem is now is that although we have a lot of other issues that come with that, we seem to be seeing either polarization or, or, or commercialization of things like high, free higher education. That's only but one model. 
we need to have debates of the various models that exist that can increase access. Free education is one model, but there are different funding models, maybe re-looking how the NASAS works, etc. And if we have the education policies aligned, it also resonates with different youth employment policies as well. And when all these policies resonate and work with each other, we might see all these other problems with poverty, alleviation, etc. also becoming a thing of a past. Now, Zola, 2016 local government elections coming up on the 3rd of August. All political parties are vying for the youth vote. Young people seemingly are more interested in politics today than they were a couple of years ago. What sort of influence or um, what, what informs the policies that affect them currently? Are we likely to see the youth voter turnout much higher so it's very interesting because it's unfortunate that uh, uh, a lot of political parties only engage the youth so they can increase their voting number count, etc. If they were serious about youth policy, we wouldn't see engagement not um, during election season. We'd see continuous engagement, we'd see change in policy, we'd see inclusion, etc. And that would make for a better political and democratic environment. So I think a lot of what's going to happen in the election is going to be a veering out of frustration. There's going to be a lot of youth because there have been some political parties that have become more appealing, um, but whether uh, in the, that helps out is only something we can determine in the long run, in the future. Now, speaking of your platform, your dialogue, um, your goals in terms of that dialogue and how you'll be able to push it forward with regards to maybe bringing government into play and saying, listen, this is a dialogue that we're having. This is a platform that we're using, interacting with the youth. And these are their issues that they've brought forward. What can be done from there on? Is government interested? Would government be involved? And have you been able to sort of approach and engage them with regards to your dialogue and forum? So tomorrow, June 18th, at the Park Tony and Hotel in Bramfordtain, we'll be having a debate and dialogue session hosted by Corruption Watch in partnership with Debate Africa. But I just want to clear it a bit. Our, this debate is important for us, and the model that we're taking is one that has no celebrities, no big names, no hotshots, no politicians, because we think the dialogue needs to be unadulterated with people who might have a specific agenda. So we do invite those people to come along. We do invite government, but they need to know, they need to understand that the presence here would only to be watched and observed because we don't think there's enough conversation having amongst ordinaries. We don't think the ordinary youth who was in the protest, who was in the class, who was struggling, has enough platforms to say unless there's some prolific hotshot debater, etc., um, so we think it's quite important that the ordinary youth can come and engage here today and we invite those politicians and those people to make their presence there so they can watch, so they can listen, and that's all their role will be. So the center stage is reserved for the youth. Is this the beginning of more debates and forums going forward? 100%. Uh, the, the, the company that's uh, working in partnership with C- Corruption Watch is... Debate Africa and Debate Africa with Corruption Watch and other organizations is going to be pushing forward more youth debates like this, more debates about issues that affect the youth, that affect the country and even internationally as well. And I think uh, strengthening a culture of debate is quite important because what most people don't understand that perhaps it's possible that we can have debate as an alternative to violent protest in this country. And the only way this can be done is if our default positioning when we are, are, are having disagreements is to get into a room and debate about it and come out with an agreed policy or at least take a step forward with talking to each other and not past each other. Zola, very quickly, what time does the debate start and can anyone come through and just um, what's the procedure? Are they supposed to register somewhere or it's just uh, come as you may? 
Um, anyone can come. Like I said, June 18th at the Parktonian in Bramfontein. We start at about 9.30 to about 3.30. It is going to be a recorded event. But if anyone wants to make sure they have their place reserved, they can email me at Zola, Zola V at corruptionwatch.org.za and I will send them an invite and they can RSVP. They can also find details at Corruption Watch's website or they can call into the office on 0800 023 456. That's 0800 and they can get all the details from me. Zola, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. You too. And that was Zola Valashia, Youth Forum Coordinator at Corruption Watch, joining us on the line. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. Very good morning to you in the headlines. The bodies of 34 refugees, including women and children, have been found in Niger Sahara Desert, where they have been, where they were apparently abandoned by smugglers en route to neighboring Algeria and eventually Europe. At least nine people have died in clashes in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo that erupted when government soldiers prevented former fighters from leaving a camp for demobilized militia groups and several overseas online publications have published graphic photos of Riva Steenkamp on the murder scene after South African Paralympian Oscar Pistorius killed her in 2013. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Thank you. And the South African municipal elections are set to take place at the beginning of August. So we are taking a look at how local elections work in other places around the world. From the general election to mayoral elections, the UK has a number of opportunities for the British people to cast their vote. Martha Holyman tells us more about how local council elections work there. Every five years, the UK has its big general election where the British people decide who's going to be the next Prime Minister. But every year, local elections take place across the country. England and Wales use a voting system called First Past the Post. Candidates who get the most votes are elected as councillors. Their job then is to bridge the gap between the council and the people. Despite being important for community issues like housing and transport, the turnout for local elections is low. Over the past 15 years, fewer people have been turning out to vote. Campaigners say the way some British people view local councils is a problem. I think there's a sense of remoteness and people perhaps feel that they don't have quite such strong powers as national government and national influence. You're not choosing the government and therefore people don't bother to turn out to vote in large numbers at all. Figures from the Electoral Reform Society show voter turnout at local elections in England are as high as 65% when a general election is also taking place. But when nothing else is going on, the turnout roughly halves to as low as 30%. This suggests council elections aren't very popular. 
and these people agree. I do not know who my local councillor is. Unless you see him on TV or you read about him in the press, I don't think you're aware of who is responsible for you in the community, to be perfectly honest. But ask them a different question. Do you know who the Mayor of London is? Yes. Sadiq Khan. Yeah, Sadiq Khan. Sadiq Khan, that's right, well done. Mayoral elections have proven more popular over the years, particularly in London. Colourful characters like Boris Johnson have grabbed the media's attention and have got people talking, and the voter turnout reflects this. 45% of Londoners voted in this year's London mayoral election, which resulted in Sadiq Khan becoming the city's first Muslim mayor. Many voters continue to view local elections as less important than others in the UK. But with local authorities being central to running services and with many getting more powers, people in the UK are encouraged not to waste their vote and to have their say. Martha Holyman, London. Women with disabilities face specific challenges which are not common to men with disabilities, as according to Catalina Devandas Aguila. UN Special Rapporteur on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. She was attending a conference focusing on women and girls with disabilities at the UN headquarters. Deganet Perez reports. A mix of greetings, conversations and laughs could be heard in conference room number 12 as disabled and non-disabled men and women were gathering to discuss the specific challenges faced by women and girls with disabilities. Women with disabilities face specific challenges that are not common to men with disabilities. Women and girls with disabilities are always discriminated in multiple ways, so they face discrimination on the basis of their sex, but they also face discrimination on the, because of their origin and because of many other reasons. That was Catalina de Vandas Aguilar, UN Special Rapporteur on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Despite an increasing awareness of the difficulties encountered by disabled persons, the particular needs of women are often forgotten. Candace Cable was amongst the attendees of the event. An athlete and a human rights advocate, she described some of the everyday struggles she has to face as a disabled woman. For instance, having health care, you know, and being able to get up on the table to have a a pap smear, a gynecologist work on me. Accessible tables don't exist. Many countries have signed the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, but some have not gone all the way to bring it into action or have done so only partially. Chi Wang Yang from Korea described with the help of her translator the difficulties she experiences in rural Korea. In Korea, there's a tendency to concentrate the facilitation in the capital. And in the rural areas, there's not enough to facilitate her uh, transportation and other everyday life. I think that people would need to come forward and to realize that there's this problem we have. And once people realize that there's this problem, then there will be more change. But the fight to push forward the cause of these women and girls will not be easy, especially since 10 years after the convention was drafted, only one woman is part of the committee monitoring it. Tegnit Perez, United Nations. The new executive secretary of the Central Corridor Transit Transport Facility Agency in the eastern Central Africa told the media in Burundi's capital, Bujumbura, that he intends to do all that he can to remove barriers hindering businesses so as to strengthen cross-border trade among member states. He calls governments of Burundi, Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, Tanzania and Uganda, which are using the Central Corridor to design joint projects that would enable them to get funding. From Bujumbura, Bernard Bankukira sent us this report. Speaking to the media a month and a half after being nominated as the new Executive Secretary of the Central Corridor Transit Transfer Facility Agency, Captain Jerone Dukundane announced new initiatives aiming at solving obstacles facing business community among member states relying upon the maritime port of Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Among expected initiatives to be undertaken include setting up a strong link with the media to develop an information network that would help governments to solve a number of issues and taking steps to strengthen cross-border trades among member states, being Tanzania, Burundi, Rwanda, Uganda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. For Captain Dukundane, there's a need to adopt a new approach to facilitate trade. We are having a new approach. We would like to hear and to solve more issues that businessmen are facing. And we are inviting or even offering a framework where government take 
measures needed to address the issues faced by the business community. In the short term, we are going to have like three quick wins that we would like to work on in the coming financial year. Number one, we are in discussions with the Tanzanian government and the port of Dar es Salaam and the processes are ahead and we think that in the, in the coming months we will have the restaurant port services uh, opened here in Bujumbura. The second priority we would like to work on uh, in the coming future is that we realized that many business people using the Central Corridor are not aware of the processes and the procedures and uh, even some bottlenecks. I mean, the government needs to be aware of the bottlenecks that the business people are facing and for that to happen, we would like to set up a framework, a partnership between our secretariat and the media from the five member countries. Now, this will be a platform whereby the uh, people using the restaurant ports or the central corridor will discuss about the issues with government officials. And they would like this platform to really be a tool that will assist to solve a number of issues. We have a number of non-tariff barriers, we have a number of infrastructure challenges, and we would like this platform to really be a, a, a tool that will assist these people to discuss them and to solve them uh, at the same time. Our third action would be to reinforce the cross-border trade. We have a number of practices that already exist, for example, between Burundi, Yans, and DRC entering in each or in the other country. Uh, we have the same facilities between Burundi, for example, and Tanzania, Burundi, and Rwanda, and so on, because these are members of the East African community. Between Burundi, DRC, and Rwanda, these are members of CPJ. But, for example, between Tanzania and DRC, we still have a number of issues, and we are working on those in order to have a smooth movement of people across the borders. The new executive secretary of the Central Corridor Agency advises member states to design joint projects and reinforce management capacities, a move that would enable them to mobilize funding. Our assistance, we as a Central Corridor, is to offer a framework where countries come together and identify their priorities. And it has been found that if two or more countries sit together and identify projects that link them, it is easy to mobilize funding. It is not only easy, but we also identify, assist them to identify a good framework to manage this infrastructure, this project. Because today you can have a funding and you set up a good road, a good port, but if the management has issues, then you still have problems. Now we will also assist the countries in coming up with a, 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 an efficient uh, public-private partnership that will assist to sustain the acquired investment. The Central Corridor Transit Transport Facility Agency, TIFA, is a multilateral agency established on September 2nd, 2006 formed an agreement by the five governments of Burundi, Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, Tanzania and Uganda. Through cooperation amongst private and public sector stakeholders, the TIFA is charged with the promotion of transport utilization of the Central Corridor, encouraging the maintenance, upgrading, improvement and development of infrastructure and supporting service facilities at port, rail, lake, road border post and along the route to meet user requirements, ensure open competition and reduce the cost of transit transport for landlocked member states. It operates in parallel with the Northern Corridor, created in 1985 to come into force in 1986, linking Uganda, Rwanda and Burundi with Kenya's maritime post on Mombasa, serving also the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Southern Sudan and Northern Tanzania. Both were formed as a solution to the transit obstacles for the landlocked countries in Central Africa, especially Uganda, Rwanda and Burundi. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankukira reporting from Bujumbura. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. 
Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Thanks, Balungile. Billions of uncollected tax dollars in developing countries could be used to lift more people out of poverty. That is according to Eric Postel, Associate Administrator of the United States Agency for International Development. Postel, who recently participated in a seminar entitled Collect More and Spend Better at the Joint Spring Meetings of International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, says redoubled efforts to improve tax systems worldwide are making a difference. In some cases, because the processes for collecting taxes are either inefficient or really difficult or not clear or corrupt, you have large amounts of people that are in the informal economy. They, they don't have the equivalent in, as in our country where each company has a tax ID number, each citizen has a social security number, and therefore they're all in the system. And then so there's all kinds of people that are out of systems. Nigeria's Reserve Bank governor says that the central bank is reasonably optimistic. The Naira will settle at around 250 to the U.S. dollar after an initial period of weaknesses following a flotation on Monday. Nigeria's central bank says it will begin a market-driven foreign currency trading next week. Foreign investors and economists have called for months for a devaluation as chronic foreign currency shortages are choked. Economic growth and deterred investment. The sale of shares in Dar es Salaam stock exchange to the public was oversubscribed by nearly five times. The DSE received bids worth 16.4 million US dollars for the 15 months or rather million shares on offer. The exchange said it would accept an unspecified amount over and above its target in what is known as a green shoe option. Smallholder farmers in Rwanda have been urged to embrace modern agricultural practices to optimize output on the small plots of land. The head of agriculture department at Bolton, Rwanda, says Rwandans should take advantage of the various modern farming methods. He says many small farmers still use traditional approaches and depend on rainfall to carry out agriculture activities, resulting in poor harvests. Russia's VTB does not expect any significant losses from its operations in Mozambique, despite experiencing problems with a major loan. Mozambique Asset Management borrowed 535 million US dollars from VTB to build shipyards in Maputo and the northern town of Pemba, in expectation of a rapid takeoff in the offshore gas sector. But MAM missed the May 23rd deadline for its first loan repayment of 178 million US dollars. On Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, my name is Tabi Solohoku. Financial indicators at the Sawa. The US dollar trades at 15.31 to the South African Rand. 10.89 Botswana Pula. 10.79 in Zambia. 7.0 British Pound. 8.9 Euro. Gold one two eight three dollars, platinum nine seven seven dollars an ounce. Brand crude oil four seven dollars seven three cents a barrel. Africa rise and shine. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Figlele Ngwati.
Now, sports update this hour. The 2016 Spa Challenge gets underway today at the Albert Lutruli Convention Center in Deben in the Wazul Natal province. South Africa's senior netball team, the Spa Proteas, take on Wales in a three-match test series. The teams last met at the 2015 Netball World Cup in Sydney, Australia, where South Africa finished in fifth place, while Wales finished in seventh place. The South Africans enjoy an advantage over their opponents, having played 11 times and won all on all occasions. Wales coach Trish Wilcox says South Africa should expect to see a well-improved side in this series. We're going to see um, an improved team. Uh, we've really worked on um, a different style of game. We were in, particularly for myself, I was in post a short time before that. Um, and so we, we did cram a lot. We've had a little bit longer uh, to work, um, particularly as I was also the Celtic Dragons coach, which is where most of the girls um, were playing in the Super League. So we've really honed the combinations during the last um, probably eight months, I'd say. And so we're really looking at putting uh, an exciting, fast uh, game of Nepal on the court. Norma Plama, South Africa's consulting coach, says they have one aim, and that is to win their first Test Series of the year. I think they're a formidable uh, opponent, Wales. We had a really good game against them at World Cup, and um, you know I'm just delighted to be back and having South Africa out there challenging in international. This year we'll hit the um, top four teams too, um, Australia, New Zealand and England and then later on Jamaica so it's the way forward for South Africa is to be testing themselves against the best in the world. It's the only way you climb up the ladder is the challenge so we've we've got the challenge in front of us and we'll be working hard if not the win but certainly closing the score lines. The match kicks off at 2000 hours Central African time. Prior to that, South Africa's under-21 side will take on their Welsh counterparts at 1800 hours Central African time. And the South African national under-20 rugby team, Junior Box, will now meet host England for a sport in the final, while in the other semi-final, Ireland will meet Argentina. This after South Africa fought back from trailing 24-18 at halftime to pick up a bonus point victory over France in Manchester on Wednesday, which saw them qualifying for the semi-finals of the ongoing World Rugby Under-20 Championship. England qualified for the last four of the tournament after impressive wins over Australia, Italy and Scotland. The teams will meet on Monday night at the Manchester City Academy Stadium and junior box scrum half Marco Janssen van Fieren knows there is plenty to work on before that. Russia's sports minister hit back at the Demning World Anti-Doping Agency report released on the eve of an IAAF decision on whether to readmit Russia in time for the Rio Olympics. WADA highlighted hundreds of attempts this year to test Russian athletes being thwarted by Russian intelligence officers and bureaucratic obstacles. With the International Association of Athletics Federation, the IAAF, to meet in Vienna on Friday to vote on Russia's case, Sports Minister Vitaly Mutko insisted all reforms demanded by the world body have been carried out. Mutko says he would read the latest WADA report and pledge to provide doping control officers with access to athletes across the country. He says he would write to WADA President Craig Reedy to tell him that if he needs government help, he must not wait until the last minute to inform them. The WADA report released on Wednesday says 736 tests requested before the 15th of February and the 29th of May were declined or cancelled. And Mozambique has increased the number of athletes who have qualified to take part in the Rio de Janeiro Global Multisporting Fiesta starting in August to four. This follows the qualification of Kat Kuto in the 400-meter hurdles and Edmilsa's Guverno in the Paralympics. However, the president of the Mozambique National Olympic Committee, Marcelino Mochome, has confirmed that there are two other athletes that have received an invitation from the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, to participate in the world stage. This will take the Mozambique tally of athletes to six, which has left the camp excited after sending only one athlete in the previous Olympics in London in 2012. Machome played down her own prospects of winning medals in Rio. Yeah, I'm happy because uh, uh, the sport in Mozambique is not uh, very high. It's not a priority. 
this, this, this I, I, uh, the last Olympic Games in, the, in, the, in, the, in the London, just qualifying one. Now I qualify in four. Another one, I have two, is not qualifying, but uh, the IOC invited me to go to compete. Total is six athletes. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, the AU is happy that the continent is making progress when it comes to organizing and participating in elections. And the UN says women with disabilities face specific challenges which are not common with men with disabilities. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today and this week. From myself, Lulu Gabu. And the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Tandiswa Maswai with a track titled Nizalwa Ngobani. Revolutionaries die And the children forget The ghetto is our first love And our dreams are drenched in gold We don't even cry We don't even cry About it no
Good morning and welcome to Channel Africa, the voice of the African 